Welcome to the Epigenetics Podcast from Active Motif. Join host Dr. Stefan Dillinger for lively discussions with leading epigenetics researchers. Hear about their past experiments, what they're working on now, and what's coming next. You know their papers, now get to know them and discover the stories behind the science. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Epigenetics Podcast. Today I'm happy to welcome Elena Gomez-Diaz from the Spanish National Research Council on this show. Please let me briefly introduce you to our audience. You did your PhD at the University of Barcelona. As a postdoc, you spent three years at the CNRS in France and two years at the IBE CSIC in Spain and then three years at Emory University in the USA. Since 2016, you are tenured researcher at the Institute of Parasitology and Biomedicine López Neira at the Spanish National Research Council in Granada, Spain. A question I'd like to ask every guest to start off our little podcast is, how did you become interested in biology in the first place and then in pursuing a career in science? Yeah, so I become interested in biology because I think of my natural curiosity. So I always uh, ask myself about uh, how things work and why the different processes and the different living organisms were there and were doing what uh, they do. So, and I am so a person that uh, like to 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 uh, to answer those questions by myself. So I'm very creative and always uh, having uh, ideas and so on. So. I think that biology is a kind of uh, uh, profession that gives you that. Uh, it's like being a child all the time that you are can create ideas and and look for them and being like a continuous adventure all the time. So that's why. And that's how you get got interested in biology. And how did you then get interested in an academic career? Yeah, so I was studying uh, biology in Extremadura. And uh, I, I was not a particular brilliant student, but uh, I started to collaborate with a department that they were going for uh, looking bird, uh, doing a monitoring of birds and parasites and so on. And I I found that exciting, so I enjoyed very much uh, uh, that work. And then when I I so I started to to focus more uh, more deeply on on my grads and trying to get more. Uh, a better marks to be able to have a grant at the end to to do the the PhD. And uh, when I finished, I saw uh, an advertisement of a PhD project that was uh, traveling all over the world, uh, looking for parasites and, and birds and so on. I say, okay, that's my <laughs> my future life. <laughs> I mean, just just to get into this a little bit. So now. Does your work still look like that, going abroad, collecting samples, or is it more standing at the bench doing molecular biology? Uh, not really, because uh, the work that we do now that focus more on malaria, human malaria parasites, also because of the type of work, we also do a, a field work uh, part, which is in, in malaria endemic areas. So it also has that part of adventure that I always look in my projects. So this is a very important part of my, my work, actually. <laughs> yeah. So um, let's come to your science. As you just said, is uh, focusing on malaria and around epigenetic mechanisms that are involved in the pathogenesis of this uh, disease. Um, just to summarize it roughly, um, I want to start in the year 2014. 
because this seems to be the year with the first paper of you focusing on malaria. So in the first years of your career, you were focusing on other things, but not malaria, but then you changed. So how did you get interested in malaria? Yeah, so I my field has been always in the intersection between evolutionary biology and uh, molecular biology, uh, but has always uh, been focused on parasites, on parasitism. So... Um, I started looking at parasites of birds. Then I moved to uh, parasites uh, that transmit other pathogens, which are ticks. Uh, and uh, then that in, in my postdoc, I was in a, in a scientific environment where there were a lot of uh, people working on mosquitoes and working on malaria. So I, I started to be exposed to that, uh, to that uh, area and uh, made a lot of uh, connections. And uh, then starting to ask the question about uh, which could be the, the mechanism that uh, underlie the incredible adaptation capacity of, of, this, of these parasites. No? So I took malaria parasites as a model uh, to ask the question of which were the, the underlying mechanisms of this uh, rapid adaptation capacity of, of parasites. Yeah, since you focused on malaria, and maybe not everyone is familiar with that, can you maybe give us a short intro into malaria, which animals or parasites are involved, and um, what is the host-parasite interaction? Yeah, so so malaria parasites are uh, one of the, the most ancient uh, diseases of humans. So uh, they have accompanied humans since uh, we came out from Africa several thousands of years ago. Uh, and actually, the evolutionary history of these parasites is very close to, to that of, uh, of their host. But malaria parasites do not only infect uh, humans, uh, they are also parasites of, other, uh, of all other vertebrates like birds, reptiles, uh, mammals. So we find uh, different groups of malaria parasites specialized and adapted to different groups of vertebrates. And the same with the mosquitoes, because this is a parasite that has a two different hosts, the vertebrate, on a vector, which is a, a, a mosquito. And also there are different groups of mosquitoes that, uh, that transmit the different uh, uh, malaria parasites. So it's a very tight and a very uh, long-standing uh, evolutionary history. Uh, so adaptations are very um, robust and are very uh, strong. So is there only one mosquito that will transmit the disease to humans or is there, are there more than one? No, this is actually quite exciting because while uh, human malaria parasites, the final host are humans, uh, there are more than 30 species of mosquitoes that can transmit uh, human malaria parasites. So the, the diversity and the type of, uh, the different type of host to which uh, the malaria parasite has to adapt in the in the vector life uh, in the in the vector part of the life cycle is, uh, is much more complex and much more unpredictable and this mm -hmm. is particularly where we are uh, very interested to to answer the question why i mean how the malaria parasite is able to to develop and to adapt into such a different range of, of, uh, of mosquito hosts. 
So maybe we can dive into your work a little bit. Um, and let's come to back to the paper of 2014 that I just mentioned before. Um, there you looked into the epigenetic landscape of the Anopheles mosquito by mapping the levels of H3K27 acetylation and H3K27 trimethylation and integrating the data with RNA-seq, which is <laughs> uh, very interesting. So what did you find there? So that was uh, the very first uh, paper that I... I uh, that was associated to that line working with malaria. So as I as I say, I I started to be interested in this area, and then I I didn't have idea about epigenetics. So I I decided to to pursue, to pursue these ideas and, and went to uh, Emory University with an expert in, in transcription and uh, chromatin regulation, which is uh, Victor Cortez. And then uh, the first uh, thing that I that we well, that we uh, realized was that, uh, okay, we want to study epigenetics in malaria, but there is no epigenetic data about the mosquitoes or, or anything. So we have to start building the house from the beginning. Uh, so that was the first uh, goal was to, to have this uh, resource. So to map uh, epigenetic uh, marks, uh, uh, like using uh, techniques that uh, that were, were well established in Drosophila, for example, applied them to mosquitoes to have those uh, histomodification maps uh, at the genome-wide level to start asking questions about, uh, about the mosquito uh, transcriptional regulation and, 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 uh, and, and changes uh, associated to malaria infection. So it must be very rewarding to tip your toe into an uncovered lake right so to to start <laughs> to start in a field that is uh, fresh and that you can really uh, make an impact because nobody has looked at that so far yeah but at, at the same time uh, the science since there is nothing uh, the science at the beginning is very descriptive because of course uh, you have to start describing things before you can ask a much more complex question right so all those uh, first papers have that component that are uh, somehow uh, descriptive until we had the tools and the techniques and the, and the knowledge to be able to ask more, much more uh, deep uh, questions. So how did this then compare to Drosophila? Was it the same? Was it different? Um, yeah, how does it Yeah, how did so, it so actually what we, that was a proof of concept of the fact that uh, these, uh, the two histomarks that we look at, uh, one active and one repressive, were uh, similarly distributed across the genome of the malaria mosquito and also were associated to uh, genes that were, I mean, the active marks were uh, in the promoters of genes that were, uh, that were being expressed and the repressive marks were uh, in silent genes and occupying regions of the mosquito genomes that resemble those of heterochromatic uh, regions in the sofla that are associated to polycom uh, repression and so on. So uh, there were uh, principles in the sofla that uh, we started to uncover also in the in the malaria mosquito. You then expanded your work from Anopheles to Plasmodium and characterized it during their development in the mosquito. So was this again doing the same establishment work in, in uh, Plasmodium uh, or um, was it different? And what did you find then um, in Plasmodium? Yeah, so always in, in, our, in our research, 
we look at the two sides, right? At the interaction between the, the parasite and the mosquito, and then uh, see how one infection impacts uh, transcriptional regulation in the mosquito and how the parasite uh, regulate its uh, genome during the development and adaptation in the mosquito. So the two sides of the coin. And, uh, and, and then um, that, that other work, uh, we ask that specific question. So how the parasite is regulating the genome during the life cycle in the mosquito. And this was uh, very important and was uh, of impact because uh, there were very little information about the epigenetic uh, modifications and, um, and uh, transitional, I mean, and, and RNA seek uh, at the genome-wide level in the stages of the parasite in the mosquito. So, so that, uh, that work was quite uh, relevant in that sense. But not only from the technical point of view, but also from the fine, from the point of view of the findings, because um, contrary what we expected, uh, there were a lot of uh, um, virulent genes that play a, a, a role in the human infections that were already uh, expressed in, a, in the mosquito stages, meaning that somehow the parasite is preparing itself for the subsequent uh, human malaria infection. So that, that was also relevant because, uh, um, I mean, it puts the, the emphasis that the mosquito stages, what is happening at the, in terms of uh, transcriptional regulation in mosquito stages is very important for, for parasite virulence in the, in the human. Yeah, which is a very smart thing to do to prepare yourself for your next host, right? <laughs> to, yeah. to really make okay. it uh, quickly. Um, yeah, so you looked at transcription factors and histone modifications, I, I assume, and then you also investigate this further and looked at um, the accessible genome in Plasmodium. So, yeah, what did you find there? Yeah, so so again, um, so there is a there was a lot of uh, work uh, um, looking at uh, at epigenetics and, and transcriptional regulation in the malaria parasites. But in the stages that uh, that occur in the human, in the blood, and uh, in vitro conditions, so in a petri dish. Uh, but uh, so, but at the same time, we knew very little about uh, which were the regulatory elements that were involved in these transcriptional changes. Okay, meaning, that, so, meaning enhancers and promoters. Yes, exactly. Well, and also transcription factors. I mean, we knew that uh, in plasmodium, sorry for that. So in plasmodium, there is a, a small family of transcription factors that are thought that play an important role uh, activating different groups of genes. So, okay, so there is a family of 30 that uh, cooperatively uh, functions. So they activate and repress different groups of genes that are those that are going to Uh, control uh, parasite uh, uh, development, growth, uh, transmission, and so on. Uh, so the, the transcription factors that are expressed determine which genes are going to be activated. Uh, we, we knew that, but we, uh, we didn't know uh, which were uh, the binding sites of these transcription factors and which were the groups of genes that they uh, regulate. So the ataxic technique uh, uh, is a very powerful tool 
to map that, to map uh, uh, where are the regions of the genome that are open and uh, looking at those regions of the genome that are open, analyzing the regions, inferring which are the transcription factors that are being bound there. So this is what we do, what we do in, uh, in, uh, in Plasmodium. Why is that important? Because it was the first time that the ataxic technique was applied to Plasmodium. And because applying that technique, we were able to, to, uh, to infer uh, which transition factors were bound to which genes at each stage of the parasite uh, cycle in the blood. Because you uh, were then, because you were looking at the underlying transcription factor motifs. Exactly, and and another importance of that paper is that we were also comparing two different clones that uh, were genetically identical, but differ in the virulent genes that were being transcribed meaning that uh, the difference was epigenetic because if they were genetically identical and they are expressing different genes, that means that there is something at the epigenetic level that is making the difference. So what we uh, we found applying this ataxic uh, technique was that uh, this uh, different pattern of expression was linked to a uh, difference in the accessibility of the promoters of those variant genes. And we could also identify which transcription factors were being important in this variable expression of otherwise identical uh, parasites. So I have a more methodical question. So how, how did you isolate the plasmodium from mosquitoes? Or did you just like analyze everything and then pick it out by bioinformatics in the end by mapping it to the reference genome? Yeah, so, so yeah, so what we, at the beginning, what we were doing was uh, all that uh, um, primary work was done in collaboration in malaria endemic countries in Burkina Faso, where we were taking uh, infected blood from, from donors uh, in Burkina and then using that blood to uh, experimentally infect uh, the mosquitoes. Then when uh, after um, certain days that we know that the parasite is uh, at a given stage of developing in the mosquito, then we, we dissect the mosquitoes and uh, analyze the, mos the infected mosquito tissue that contains the parasite. After sequencing, we have a pool of sequences. Some of them correspond to the parasite, some of them correspond to the mosquito, and then bioinformatically, we, we split them, we separate them. Um, that was uh, that was very relevant at the moment because one of the limitations of studying the parasite in the mosquito is the low quantity of parasites that we have in in those stages, right? So somehow the mosquito chromatin or the mosquito RNA uh, serve us as a carrier. So we we were able to have to achieve uh, parasite sequences thanks to the mosquito mm -hmm. material. Right yeah. now, with a single cell sequencing, that is not needed anymore. But at the time, was uh, was important. So, um, did you also look at um, influences of the plasmodium on the mosquito uh, chromatin, or the other way around? So, how they like work together, or how they influence each other? Um, yeah. So, so another work. We we exactly we asked the, the other question. How are uh, malaria infection 
impacts uh, impacts uh, transcription and impacts uh, uh, chromatin um, structure in the mosquito. Okay, and which genes were impacted by by a malaria infection? So, so we took uh, we compare um, histone modification maps and uh, and uh, gene expression maps in infected and non-infected uh, mosquito tissues. And then uh, we identify which genes were differentially expressed and which genes were also differentially uh, marked by different histone modification marks. And, and put together all that information. So we end up with a, a series of genes that, uh, that were responsive to a malaria infection and also changed their chromatin structure. And uh, it turns out that many of those genes were also genes involved in uh, immunity and immunity uh, in response to, to, to a malaria infection, according to the literature. So, so that was a starting point also to, to link uh, those phenotypic changes uh, associated to malaria infection with uh, the underlying mechanism uh, associated to uh, the epigenetic underlying mechanism or the chromatin associated uh, mechanism. Yeah, which would also make sense, right? That um, genes that are um, related to immunity get differentially regulated in, in the setting. So after that, you collected and integrated ataxic, RNA-seq, and chip-seq data of Anopheles gambiae. So why did you switch um, the mosquito species? Um, did it is it just by chance that you got like samples from from those type of, of Anopheles? And what did you find there by combining all those information together? Actually, I think that that was a kind of uh, a problem of nomenclature. So meaning that oh. uh, it was a time that, uh, yeah, actually is, is a mess. Because uh, when we started working with Anopheles gambia, Anopheles gambia was a complex of species that we had uh, uh, Anopheles gambia uh, sensulata and Anopheles gambia. Uh, well, I, now we have uh, gambia and Colucci. Uh, before, there were two different subspecies. So actually, I think that the problem is, is just that. So we, we always uh, work in, in Burkina with, uh, with the same species, which now is Colucci. But, uh, but at that, for one paper, it was uh, named okay. uh, one way, and for the other, it was the other way around. So uh, in any case, um, so in that other paper, we went a step forward, uh, a step forward and uh, wanted to... Uh, not only to identify which genes were uh, changing uh, expression and how these uh, changes in gene expression were associated to changes in chromatin structure at the level of histone modifications, but also which were the uh, transcription factors and the regulatory elements that were involved in those uh, in those responses, right? So, so that again, the ataxic uh, technique was very good because we were able to. Uh, to map those uh, open uh, sites of the genome, uh, to infer the transcription factors. And also, we were able to do something in, in, uh, in uh, Mosquito that was very relevant, was to classify all those regulatory elements into uh, promoter-like or enhancer-like. Why is that important? Because we don't know anything about enhancers in Mosquito, or very little and at, at a candidate gene level, but genome-wide, was uh, uh, like the first catalog uh, experimentally um, characterized 
about enhancers in, in the malaria mosquito. Uh, and this and this I think that uh, is is very important. Yeah. So are you now at the stage where you can say that you move on from purely descriptive work in this area to more like question driven and and uh, other work? So uh, leading to the question what are you working on currently and what are your plans for let's say the next five years? Yeah, exactly. So Once that we were exposed to all the limitations, uh, all the technology, all the technical problems, and, and did most of the de descriptive uh, work, we are starting to be in a position that we can ask more mechanistic uh, questions and more relevant questions about the biology and about the adaptation of the parasite, which are the ones that we are uh, more motivated and more passionate. So what we are doing now, Uh, the main question that we have now is how, to which extent, uh, epigenetics is the, is the key uh, mechanism that allow malaria parasites to adapt rapidly to the mosquito host. But, uh, but to ask that question, we want to do the things properly. So we are uh, using uh, parasites that we isolate from the field. Why? Because we think that are those that maintain the adaptation capacity, not those, not the ones that we have in the laboratory for years. Uh, so we are using natural parasites. We are using the mosquito because uh, the mosquito allows us to work in vivo and to see adaptation in, in, in action. Okay. And uh, we are using uh, single cell technologies because uh, that way we can uh, study the interactions between the malaria parasites and the mosquito at the single cell level without all the confounding factors of, uh, of the variability that, that we can find in, in the vector. So that's, that's we are the, the point where we are. And we are also, once that we are... Um, Once that we will have uh, these regulatory uh, proteins and regions that are uh, important for adaptation, we are uh, developing uh, CRISPR approaches to be able to uh, functionally validate uh, uh, that function, meaning that uh, a proof that if we remove that uh, regulatory element that is uh, so important in theory for adaptation, we are going to block uh, the transmission and adaptation of the parasites. So that's the, 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 the working plan uh, that, uh, that we are now focused. So your focus will be more on the interaction between the mosquito and the plasmodium parasite and not so much on the human side of things? Yes. Um, yes, actually, yeah, it, for two reasons. Uh, first, because there is a, the mosquito uh, life cycle is a black box still in terms of knowledge. There is a lot of things that, uh, that uh, we still don't know in terms of, uh, of uh, transitional regulation, epigenetics, uh, adaptation. And also because we think that, uh, that uh, the adaptation capacity of the parasite in the mosquito is where uh, it's much more, um, is where it explodes. I mean that it's much more important because what I said at the beginning, that uh, we are one species, but uh, the parasite is able to survive and to develop and grow in 30 different species of mosquito. Meaning that if uh, it is plastic, this plasticity and this uh, changing capacity, uh, it maximum expression must be 
in the mosquito stitches. And this is why we are uh, focusing on that. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is uh, conceptually, uh, technically, because the mosquito allows us to manipulate things. Of course, we cannot manipulate uh, infection in humans, but we can manipulate and play around infection in mosquitoes. Mm. So other than the science itself, you are also active in the field of gender equality and organized a conference titled Women in Malaria. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about this conference and your efforts in this area? Yeah, so, so the, the community Women in Malaria uh, started in 2018. And I was visiting Glasgow And I meet Joan Power, which, uh, who is very active also in, in, in women in science and in malaria outreaching and so on. And uh, we thought about the idea of, of joining and making a kind of, a, of community of women to support each other and to empower each other. So that was the, the starting point. Uh, we started with very simple um, roles, which were... Uh, advertising and visibilizing women in, in social media. And then from there, we started to do more, um, more complex things or more, more ambitious uh, projects. And the first one was uh, the, the Women in Malaria Conference. Uh, what was the... And that one, that one was organized together with my, my colleague, uh, Sarah Ries, from uh, Edinburgh uh, University, which is now also in the steering committee of women in malaria. And, uh, and the goal of that Congress that was in the middle of the pandemic was uh, first uh, to put uh, women in malaria in the, in the stage, to say, okay, look at the incredible science that all these women leaders and all these uh, women students are, are doing. Uh, increase the, the geographic diversity of the science, meaning that science in malaria is not only done in Europe or United States, it's much more wider. Actually, endemic countries play the most important role in the, in the malaria research. And, uh, and many of that science that is done in malaria endemic areas is done by women, which play an important role in, in in the in the communities and the, in health and in, in including people and, and taking care of people so so that was uh, our role and we also had uh, an additional role that was um, providing training a part of uh, connecting women in malaria researching researchers uh, and uh, putting their research in, on the stage was also to provide them a way to, to interact each other and to be trained and to get all the resources that we, we had at hand. So it was very successful because we had more than 500 uh, attendants. Uh, we had a lot of sponsors. So most of the, all the people that applied for had the free registration because uh, we had few waivers for students and and so on. And, uh, and I think that the ambience was uh, incredible. So it was very powerful, yeah. Mm. So are there plans for the next uh, conference or when will it be? Yeah, actually we are already working on that. Uh, our plans is to have the second one in, in autumn of 2023. So, and the idea is not to 
to compete with uh, with a malaria conference, with other malaria conferences, to complement them. Mm-hmm. So we will we will keep uh, being uh, virtual because we think that that way we provide um, a different perspective, a different an alternative to conventional conferences, and also uh, facilitate things uh, for women researchers in in some geographical areas. And um, and just uh, yeah, complement uh, providing a different perspective uh, about uh, malaria research, which is uh, the the research that is done by by women. Yeah, I will put all information in the show notes so that people can find the Twitter account. I think I think that is the first um, step uh, to to getting more information. Yes. So to finish off this interview, I have two more general questions. The first one, did you at one point of your career face the situation that you have reached a dead end or did not know how to proceed to unravel the questions you wanted to answer? Yeah, so uh, that moment was when, uh, as you say at the beginning, I, I was uh, look, I was studying parasites uh, of birds at the beginning and then uh, changed to... <laughs> to human malaria parasites. So that was a very important step in my career. Uh, a lot of people told me that I was crazy, that I was going to ruin my career because I was uh, changing fields completely and I, that I was not going to be able to to take, a, I mean, to, to be somebody in the field of malaria because uh, I was uh, not an expert at all. Uh, and all On top of that, I was doing epigenetic, which I was not expecting that as well. So that was very brave for my part and very unconscious, maybe. Um, it took me a while to adapt. It took me a, a lot of effort and a lot of uh, fight to, to, to learn and to be trained and to succeed a bit. And we are still there. But uh, now I am a group leader um, that I is, is uh, finding a way and is, is finding a my own niche, uh, asking uh, a bit different question, which is uh, more putting an evolutionary side on the on the study of malaria, which is something that I think that was needed, uh, combining uh, skills and combining ideas and, and putting uh, the interdisciplinary science uh, uh, ahead. So I think that that's what uh, made me succeed, the, the um, yeah. the passion so, for for new ideas, the passion to do what I want to do, and I and also because I have the 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 I I have a uh, what do you say that the interest stronger yeah stronger thing that uh, the new science and the important science only comes from uh, putting different ideas and interdisciplinary mm-hmm. uh, knowledge uh, together. So that's that's where what we are trying to do. Yeah. So in the last 35 minutes, we have taken a journey through your scientific career. Can you maybe give a short summary about your most important findings or maybe something that we might have missed in this interview? Yeah, so I think that, um, that one of the most important findings of, uh, of our lab still has to come. <laughs> so as I said, uh, we did a, a, a very huge uh, advance in the sense of focusing on a very uh, little studied area of the parasite life cycle, which is the mosquito. I think that this is relevant and is uh, not worthy. 
And now we are in a position that uh, that uh, breakthroughs and and uh, new uh, the, no discoveries in the in the mechanistic uh, side and the role of epigenetics and adaptation and the application of that uh, to control and to eradicate malaria can can come. So so that's uh, I think the summary that uh, I would uh, yeah I would like uh, to finish. <laughs> so we are looking very much forward to to reading more of that because I think that's a very at least I think that it's a very interesting part of uh, the epigenetics field. So um, thank you, Elena, for your time and for being on the show. Thank you very much for the for the time and the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Epigenetics Podcast from Active Motif. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find all the mentioned references in the show notes. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. We'd love to hear from you, so please send us your feedback on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or via email at podcast at activemotif.com, and we'll give you a shout-out in a future episode. For more great epigenetics content, check out the Active Motif blog at activemotif.com forward slash blog. Thanks for listening and stay tuned.